Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. So 1 John, um, I'd like to say we're going to go through it verse by verse. We're probably going to spend most of our time in chapter 1. Um, I've been studying 1 John for a while. I study really slow. Um, so when I, I study verse by verse, but I go really slow through, through the Bible. I'll study a verse or two at a time, um, you know, and chew on it for a little while. Um, I joke around with my team at work that I'm a whole lot like a cow. Uh, you know how... Um, you know, you just chew on some food for a while and then you swallow it and you kind of forget about it. And then a little bit later, you think about it or chew on it a little bit more. And uh, so that's kind of how I am when I study. I just got to take a little bit, swallow it, think about it a little bit. And uh, so anyway, um, you know, I remember in, in high school, I was, um, I played basketball. Went to a school with uh, my graduating class was a whole six people. And um, the, the year after my graduating class, the graduating class was one. Uh, so very small little private school, I think 70 or 80 students. Um, but, you know, thankfully, it allowed me as not a very good basketball player to make the starting five very easily. Um, there was only seven people on the team, and being the second tallest person really helped. It was just kind of by default, you start. Uh, so it really didn't matter your skill level. But, uh, so I played uh, basketball all through my high school. And um, really enjoyed that. But I remember, of course, traveling around to different teams. There was, and this was in central Kentucky, uh, where I grew up. And there were, there were some teams that were notably very good, like there probably is in every league. Um, but there was this one team from Hazard, Kentucky. Yes, Hazard, Kentucky. Duke's a Hazard, Hazard, Kentucky. Um, and they beat everybody they played. For years, my whole high school career in, in basketball, Bethel Christian Academy, or Bethel, as they pronounced it down there, they beat everybody. We couldn't beat them. Nobody could beat them. They beat everybody every time they played them. And it wasn't because they were just some amazing athletes. Um, you know, and they just buried everybody. So it's just kind of frustrating to play them. We were good friends with the guys, but we hated playing them in basketball. Um, that coach was, they had the same coach all the way through my high school. And um, he, was, he was a really soft-spoken guy. So we were always trying to figure out what the recipe was, right? And years later, after that coach was done coaching high school basketball, we were done at high school. Um, you know, I was, uh, I got to go to a couple practices. He was working with a group of college-age guys from a Bible college, seeing if we could come up with a basketball team, which we didn't. Uh, but nonetheless, he got us together to try to put us through a couple practices to see where we were at. And, um, you know, he told us then his secret, after the fact, after they beat us in all the tournaments. Um, and all he did, all of his practices, all the time, was work on fundamentals. He worked on dribbling. He worked on shooting free throws. And he worked on passing. Fundamentals. We ran suicides half of our basketball practice. Um, anybody with me there? Anybody remember that? Yeah, so we just ran all the time. His guys ran. He ran his team, but they always dribbled the ball while they were running. Or they would shoot the ball and then run or something. He was always working on fundamentals. 
and it was constantly through his practices. So, and that, w- that is what he said was the secret to his success with his team. Everybody who came through his team was very good at fundamentals, and they were. These guys were amazing. They could pass behind the back. They could pass uh, between their legs. They could pass without looking. They could catch it without looking. I mean, they were just incredible. And so that's a whole lot of what John is trying to write, not about basketball, um, in 1 John. is He's really writing about fundamentals. These churches he was writing to in, in modern-day Turkey, um, it really comes down to him giving, him giving the message that when the basics, the fundamentals of our faith in Jesus are in practice, we can experience assurance and we can experience fullness of joy. And so it's a really a lot of fundamentals of Christianity that he's going through. And, and 1 John isn't a book of correction. It isn't a book of uh, rebuke or anything like that. It's just a book of assurance. It's a book of encouragement. Um, now there's some warnings in here. Um, but of course, you know, since this is his message, you know, the, the fundamentals of our faith in Christ are in practice. You know, it's not that um, he is saying that we obviously become perfect. Um, but rather we are continually learning sound doctrine, we're continually learning obedience, and we are continually learning true, uh, the true love of Christ. And we'll see these themes kind of resounding through First John here. Um, so there's four main reasons for John writing this letter, four main messages that he delivers. The first one is joy, and that's found in chapter 1, verse 4. He wants them to have complete or fullness of joy. Uh, second message is holiness. He wanted them of habitual sin. That's found in chapter 2 and verse 1. Uh, the third thing is that he wanted them to be, uh, have sound doctrine. He wanted to be strong and confident in their faith so that they could refute heresy. So the third message was to refute heresy, and that's found in chapter 2, verses 18 through 27. The fourth message was on security or assurance. He wanted them to be sure of their faith in Christ, and that's in chapter 5. In verse 13, we know these are the main messages because he writes, um, you know, we write this unto you, or I, I write this unto you because of this. So these four main messages. Um, John MacArthur wrote about 1 John, Sound faith, obedience, and love reveal the key cycle of true spirituality in 1 John. A proper belief in Jesus produces obedience to his commands. Obedience results in love for God and fellow believers. Uh, as we see in chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. When these three, sound faith, obedience, and love, operate in concert together, they result in joy, holiness, and assurance, and confidence in truth. They constitute the evidence of a true Christian. So a little bit more about the, the time frame that First John was written. There was a, the, around this first century, uh, Gnosticism really became a, a thing that was a problem. It was a heresy that was being taught. And we see this uh, mentioned throughout chapter, uh, later in chapter 2. But Gnosticism was, basically comes down to the belief that all material or all physical things are evil. Um, that God could not have created the world as we know it. He didn't create the material world because it's material, it's physical, it, it, it's evil. So therefore, a perfect God couldn't have created an imperfect world. So God didn't create the world. Um, also, that uh, Jesus dwelling as he did in the human body could not be God. They did not believe in the deity of Christ. 
because, of course, that was, it was a physical body. It was evil, right? Could not come from God. Uh, so what they were basically believing in is the only thing that mattered was the spiritual. Some forms of Gnosticism turned into um, the, the fact that uh, Jesus was, of course, they believed that Jesus was a real person, but they only believed that some form of divinity came on him at his baptism and then left him before his crucifixion. But that obviously that, that being couldn't be created by God because it was physical. So the Gnostics were also known to deliberately alter the Scriptures to meet their views. So they did know Scripture. And isn't that, isn't that kind of how it is when it comes to discerning the truth versus heresy, right? Sometimes uh, some things can sound so close to the truth, and they can almost sound convincing, like speaking my same language, saying the same words. Um, that's why we've got to obviously pray for the Holy Spirit's guidance in discerning what truth is, and he gets to that. So John was uh, also uh, the youngest of the disciples, and he was believed to have been in his late teens or early 20s when he followed, started following Jesus, so a very young man. Um, and he was believed to be around 80 years old when he was writing this letter, so the youngest of the disciples and the last surviving uh, disciple or apostle. Um, many times throughout, we, we know that he's uh, later in his life, towards the end of his life when, when he wrote this, because... Um, Several times throughout the book, he says, my little children. I think when you, I think when I reach the great age of 80, I, I, I think I'll feel like everybody's a child. I don't know, I'm, I feel like I'm still pretty young, but I, I can go to like a high school game, I mean, and I see these high schoolers, and I'm like, I never looked that young. Is anybody, anybody else tracking with that? I just look at them, like, they're so, people look so young today, you know? And so I think that's where John was. He was like, hey, my little children. I don't think it was a spiritual maturity thing. I think it really was an age thing. Um, and that's uh, how we can know where he's kind of at in his life. So First John, a book of assurance. And the heresies that were going around that were becoming uh, really a big talking point in that time uh, around Gnosticism was a big reason for him writing this uh, because of we, we see where he's wanting to give them assurance of their faith in Christ. Uh, he's wanting them to be confident uh, in truth uh, because he wants them to be able to refute heresy, as we'll uh, see in chapter 2. So let's go back to these four main messages. Message number one, fullness or completeness of joy. So we're going to be in chapter 1. Starting in verse number 1, this is the first message that he has uh, for his fellow Christians. I'll be reading from the ESV in case it uh, sounds a little bit different from uh, what you're reading, reading uh, following along. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with me. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So completeness or fullness of joy. Um, so let's stop for just a minute and let's talk about joy. Let's talk about joy versus happiness. Um, anybody experience any happiness today? No? Anybody experience any sadness today? 
or disappointment today. Yeah. So happiness and joy are rather two different things. So joy is a quality of the Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's not a, it's not a quality that we can muster up and produce within ourselves. Joy comes directly from the Holy Spirit. Um, happiness is circumstantial, right? There's, we had some times of joy and success today and smiles, and then we may have had some times of disappointment, uh, times of anger, times when we weren't happy. Right? So happiness is a quality of the flesh. Happiness comes and goes. It's based on our circumstances. It's based on uh, what's going on around us. But joy comes through the Holy Spirit. And it's based on our state with Jesus, which is secure and constant. So, uh, there's five things that I'd like to share with you tonight. That um, um, So what does Scripture say about having this completeness of joy? Uh, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4, let's flip over there. I'm going to have you flip around just a little bit tonight. Um, I might actually, I'm going to try to get some of you to read a few verses here in a little bit. Philippians chapter 4 and starting in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Anybody ever have trouble with those two things? The heart and the mind? Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any, if there's any excellence, if there's any anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Taking our thoughts captive, right? Let's go, let's go back to this message that he's trying to deliver about fullness of joy. The first thing that we see that he is emphasizing here is how can we have this completeness of joy? The first thing is remembering the life that Jesus lived. So he starts off saying the things which we have heard things which we have seen, things we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and have touched with our hands. So John was an eyewitness of the ministry and the life of Jesus. So he saw it. He saw the miracles done. Um, you know, some of you might get really mad at me for saying this, but I, I have not watched all of um, The Chosen. I've not watched all the episodes. Don't throw anything at me. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't watched all of it, but in the first few episodes, it's fun to watch how excited the disciples get when he's getting ready to perform a miracle, right? They just kind of get excited, and they're just kind of like, yeah, yeah, this is getting ready to happen again. Guys, watch. You know, it's just exciting to kind of see visual. You know, we always have an imagination, and I think that's my favorite part of The Chosen is it really kind of puts a very human perspective on what was going on in that, that time. Um, but, you know, John was one of those guys that was standing there saying, okay, watch him. He's getting ready to do it again, guys. This is so good last time. Watch. The little kids are saying, what's happening? And he says, just watch. So John was there. He got to see all that, right? He got to see um, Jesus' whole earthly ministry. So what he's saying here is, he said, guys, I, I got to be a part of all this. So listen to me. Um, and what Paul is, uh, not Paul, what John is doing here is he is, as we read in, that Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 8, is he is rejoicing. So that confidence in who Jesus was and what he did, he's rejoicing or he's joying again. 
That's the important part of that R-E at the beginning of Joyce. He's joying again. He's remembering the things that he's seen, the things that he got to touch. He got to touch the nail prints in Jesus' hands. It brought a lot of confidence. So that's what he's trying to tell them is that, hey, remember and listen about the life that Jesus lived. Remember what God's done. So the second thing, the first thing, remembering the life that Jesus lived. The second thing is looking forward to our eternal life with Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1. Let's go there. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1. Just a couple books back. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1. Read, we'll read eight verses here. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So this inheritance, back up in verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. So when we accept Christ, God makes an earnest payment to us for our inheritance. He makes a down payment through the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's always with us. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us, and one day we will have that inheritance. Oftentimes, our minds go to our inheritance as heaven. Our, inhi- our inheritance is a, uh, a glorified body. Anybody ready for that glorified body? But our inheritance is God. We get to be with Him. We get to be with God in heaven for eternity. That's our inheritance. And we see that. We can... You can read in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 through 14. You can write that down. And also Psalm 16, verse 5. The Holy Spirit is our earnest payment, so to speak, and God is our inheritance. He's our portion. So, not only remembering the life that Jesus lived, but looking forward to our eternal life with Jesus. And you know, in the day that we open our eyes and meet Jesus, that's the day that really matters, right? Everything that happens here, you know, it's, it, it, it is really important. And God cares about it. I'm not dismissing that. But in light of that day, when we open our eyes and look at God the Father, that's really the day that matters. And what are we doing to focus and keep our focus on that day? That'll bring us joy. That will allow us to joy again in what God has done. He's given us the Holy Spirit as His children. An earnest payment saying, hey, your inheritance is coming. Hey, I'm going to be with you until then. 
My Holy Spirit's going to live inside of you. But guess what? One day you get to be with me. So looking forward to our eternal life with Jesus. What else about having this complete joy? Uh, third thing is abiding in Jesus. So chapter 2, we're going to skip ahead for just a minute in 1 John. So chapter 2, verse 24 through 28. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us eternal life. I write these things unto you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from Him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as His anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in Him. So true joy, abiding in Jesus. Abide with Him. So we know, you know, the book of 1 John doesn't actually identify John in word as John being the author. It doesn't say that I, John, am writing these things to you as many of Paul's writings did or other books of the Bible. Some believe it's because he was the last surviving apostle, and so all the churches were going to know who a letter was coming from. He was the last one. Um, but nonetheless, we also know that it's him because he really is strong on this word abide. And we can see that also in John, right? Chapter 15, we can see the, vine, uh, the, uh, the uh, teaching in the story of the vine and the branches. So we go to John chapter 15, and we see some of the same language that the Holy Spirit inspired through John. Same guy. John 15, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you have, you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he, uh, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, away from me, you can do nothing. You know, I spent some time studying this word abide. And I kept waiting for some profound thing to, to come up when it comes to what is this abiding in Christ. But simply abiding just really means remain. It comes with the idea of being steadfast, being consistent, being resilient. And we get that from the context that we see in 1 John. It's right in this clump of verses where he's talking about refuting heresy, where he's saying cling to the truth. We've seen all this. We, we know it happened. We know who Jesus was. He wasn't just some man that was briefly had some kind of divinity uh, instilled in him. He was God in the flesh. And so he goes on to say we, um, in chapter 2 that he wants to, about antichrists and refuting heresy. And he says, as I, as, uh, if, in verse 24, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. Stay with the truth. So I was waiting for this profound thing to, to, to come into my heart and mind, and it just kept coming back to that simple word, remain. So I have this for you tonight. Abide. It's a moment-by-moment, ever-continuing relationship with our Father.
Just a moment by moment, ever continuing relationship. And we can go back to John chapter 15 and read about that, just like we did a minute ago. You know, we don't ever have to just leave God behind. We can, we can bring Him with us. <laughs> right, let's, let's stay with Him. Let's stay true to the truth. Let's be steadfast. Let's be resilient. We know what the truth is. That's what He was trying to tell these churches. Is, hey, and as we read in chapter 2, He'll say, you don't need me to tell you the truth. You've heard the truth. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You don't need me to tell you. You know what the truth is. Stick with it. Stay with the truth. So we'll come back to that in, in just a little bit. But the third thing, of course, was abiding in Jesus. The fourth is sounds very familiar, but uh, it goes, goes right along with this, and that's un- through unity with believers. You know, this is, this is really important. Um, it kind of goes along uh, with remembering the life that Jesus lived. We see in chapter 1 and verse 3, that, uh, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, that you too may have fellowship with us. This is that word uh, koinonia, that fellowship, that communion, that sharing things in common, that close fellowship, that close oneness that we have. That's that word that he uses there. So through unity with the believers, this completeness of joy. You know, and, and when it comes to unity, one thing that's so special is that it allows us, just as uh, Ian led us in tonight, it allows us to rejoy or joy again in what God's doing. Right? How many answers to prayer that were shared tonight? Uh, life group on Sunday night. Um, we had a couple people. There's, we, we get to pray about some things together. We talk about our kids and our families and our marriages and friends and life that's going on. We pray together about things. We've had a couple answers to prayer as, as a life group. That's awesome. Praise God for that. Don't know that it's directly because of the prayers we prayed. I'm sure we weren't the only ones praying for it. But praise God, He, he hears us and He listens. And He answered those prayers. And it was exciting to hear and exciting to see the tears from, man, God, you're so good. And how awesome is that for us to have the, that koinonia with each other, that fellowship. That unity with believers as we've been learning about for the last couple months is important when it comes to rejoying in the things that we've heard and we've seen and we know that are going on and how real the Holy Spirit is and how real Jesus is. 1 Corinthians 15.58, very familiar verse, right? Be therefore steadfast, unmovable. Be settled. Be settled in the truth. Remain with it. Remain with Jesus. Stick with Him. As we move down to verse 5 in chapter 1. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. There's that, there's that koinonia again, right? Walking in the light. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we, say, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. We need to walk in the light. 
We're to embrace the light. John Phillips said this, we are to embrace the light and walk in the light so that our fellowship with one another might be unbroken. You know, it's, it's, it's refreshing and, and it's so nice to see that we as a, a small representation of the body of Christ here, when there is somebody that feels like something's not right with somebody else. And I was just listening to a story about somebody calling somebody else in the church and just saying, you know, man, this week's just not right. Talking about some things going on at work. I'm just not right this week. Now, praise God, we live in a fellowship where we can have those conversations with each other, right? We can walk in the light together. You know, it's a blessing when somebody feels that, you know, something's not, just not right between us. I don't know what it is. But let's talk about it. Let's pray about it. It's a blessing that we, that we fellowship in that kind of atmosphere, right? Where there can be forgiveness and grace. That's what, uh, that's what John is getting at here, walking in the light together so that we can have fellowship with one another. The last thing here about this fullness of joy is having an attitude of repentance and surrender. An attitude of repentance and surrender. And this goes along with what we just read. Bring sin into the light and agree with God about sin. 1 John 1, 9. You know, one thing I'm really thankful for is just kind of new light that, that the Lord shed on that verse for me while I studied it. It's always been one of those things that, yeah, we've got to confess our sin to God and tell God, yeah, that was sin, and you know, make sure that we acknowledge that and everything like that. But this word confess... Actually, it means, it comes from a word that means to say the same thing as another. To say the same thing. And I think sometimes we're good at, I know I'm good at, calling sin something a little bit lighter than what it really is. <laughs> I see this, I see this with two boys, you know, the, the brothers. You know, well, did you say this? Well, what I, what I really said... No, no, no. What did you say? What are the words that you said? Um, you know, did, did you hit him? Well, no, I just, I didn't know he was there, and I just slung my arms out. Um, you know, we, we have a way of making things sound a little bit better than they really are, right? Now, we see that in our own life where we're like, no, I want you to say what you did. That's where this, if we confess our sins, we know that God's forgiven all of our sins, past, present, and future. We know that from Verses in Scripture. But John is teaching us that, you know, he wants us to keep sin out of our life, which we'll get to in just a minute. But obviously knowing that sin is still, we're still going to sin. We're sinners. But confess that sin, which means call that sin what it is to our Heavenly Father. Say, God, that was sin. That was lying. That was stealing. Right? That was anger. That was revenge. That was adultery. Calling it what it is is hard when it's us that we're talking to God about. <laughs> because we're really good at making it sound just a little bit better. But it's important that we confess. We say the same thing as God does about our sin. So, that's what he's saying about fullness of joy in these verses is remembering the life that Jesus lived. 
looking forward to our eternal life with Jesus, abiding in Jesus, remain with Him, just stick with Him. Unity with the believers and through an attitude of repentance and surrender. You know, here's just a moment of encouragement here, and I'm going to speed up just a little bit. So this word confess is also used in Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. Let's read, let's read that really quick. So we just talked about our sin, and that's reality, but sometimes that, uh, the, the enemy can use that against us, right? Who are you? Revelation chapter 3 and verse 5. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. So it's the same, comes from the same Greek word, meaning to say the same thing as another. So what Jesus is saying here is I'm not going to blot his name out of the book of life, and I'm going to say the same thing that God does. I'm going to confess Morgan's name to the Father. Amen. So what does God call us? What is this confession? What is this same thing? All right, 2 Corinthians 5.21. What does God call us? The righteousness of God. Jesus is confessing who we are to the Father. Father, He's, a righteous, he's your righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.17, new creation. Hey, Father, new creation here. He's mine. God's confessing who we are. He's saying the same thing as God is calling us. Ephesians 2.10, we are His workmanship. Ephesians 1.4, all sorts of things in here, but the one I've got is chosen. Ephesians 1.5, call us sons or child. We're His child. Not an orphan, adopted. Ephesians 1.7, in Him we have redemption. We're redeemed. He calls us redeemed. 1 John 5, 3-5, overcomer. So when the accuser goes to the Father, right? Or when even we, are conde- we have those feelings of condemnation ourselves. Remember that we have, as we'll see in chapter 2 of 1 John, we have an advocate that's going to the Father, confessing or saying the same thing as God says to Him. God, He's your righteousness. God, He's new creation. God, He is your workmanship. God, He's redeemed. She's redeemed. She's your child. She's chosen. She's an overcomer. God's confessing these same things to God because that's what He calls us. It's the same word in use when we say, God, that was this. Call that sin out. Say the same thing that God does, but Jesus is in in heaven doing the same thing for us. Isn't it amazing that even when we're down here on earth confessing our sin to God as His children, He's like, I already know. Thank you. Thank you for confessing that. Hey, God, He's, he's ours. You know, he's, he's redeemed. Covered that. So, joy comes from our confidence in who Jesus is and the work that He did and continues to do in us. Constantly and graciously pursuing us and with open arms, 
continually doing a work in our hearts and minds to bring us back into right relationship with Him as our always sovereign and always good Father. That's the fullness and completeness of joy. It's a confidence in who Jesus is. It's not confidence in our circumstances working out okay. It's a confidence in who He was, what He did. It's confidence that we get through having an attitude of constant repentance and surrender. It's a confidence that we, we have in Jesus through looking forward to our eternal life with Him, our inheritance. A confidence that we get through abiding in Him, just sticking with Him, remaining. And that we're reminded we get to rejoice when we are in unity with other believers and we're in true fellowship with one another. So, fullness of joy. Second message, we'll just spend a couple minutes here, but really exciting verse that I think that uh, will we'll close this out good. So, chapter 2. So, he goes into, first of all, he wants to talk about fullness of joy, but he wants us to avoid habitual sin. That's the second message that he's got. So, this is not that we become sinless, right? But as believers, as we do all the things and we're obedient, right? That we become sound in our faith, as we talked about at the beginning. Uh, we become sound in our faith. Uh, we obey, right? We're obedient to Scripture. And then we yield to the Holy Spirit. Pastor Brennan went over that and taught uh, that this past Sunday, right? Yielding to the Holy Spirit and putting ourselves under the authority of Scripture. As we do that, we should sin less, Right? We'll not be sinless, but we should sin less. That's his message of keeping habitual sin out of our life. So he's telling these believers that they can have victory over sin. When we do sin, it should be followed by confession, repentance, and surrender. Confess that sin. Call it what God, what God does. But let's, we'll end here. But in verse, chapter 2, verse 1, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is our righteousness. The only reason that He can confess our name to the Father is because of what He did on Calvary. So, this advocate, this defense attorney that Jesus is, is much different than a defense attorney here on earth, right? Um, defense attorneys on earth are quite expensive, I've heard. Um, but defense attorneys are up there in the courtroom trying to put forward the case that we're innocent, right? They did not commit the crime. Jesus, our advocate, is not doing that at all. He's very honest with the judge, saying he is guilty. But Father, my sacrifice going and dying on the cross satisfies that penalty and that verdict. So that's the kind of advocate we have, the one that confesses our name to the Father. And that we know that Jesus readily claims we are guilty to the judge, but his sacrifice satisfies that verdict and penalty. And that's where we get later in verse 2. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not ours only, 
but also for the sins of the whole world. You know, I think it's really important that we realize how much God loves everyone. Kind of difficult for us sometimes. Because we definitely categorize sin as humans, right? We definitely categorize it. We definitely have a list of worse, really bad, not so bad. Our human minds kind of work that way, right? But when it comes to God and His love, He loves everybody. He loves the worst criminal in our minds, right? The person behind bars just as much as He loves the person that's not behind bars. He loves that person that lives a lifestyle that you disagree with just, much, just as much as He loves you and me. Because His love, He is a propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Even those people that curse His name. He loves them just the same, right? And so, if I can wrap this up in any one thought, we've talked a lot about joy, right? We've talked a lot about um, good things that we need to make sure that we're rejoicing about, joying again, truth, keeping sin out of our life, confessing our sin to the Father. But let's leave here Tonight, remembering how awesome God's love is. Because remember that John writing this letter, if, you've, if, you've, if it's been a while since you've read 1 John, it's a quick read. Read it. Chapter 5 gets into some amazing assurance. Let's read it. We'll close off with that. So the last message that we're skipping over one, but the last message that John had, you can see in chapter 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Have confidence in the fact that we have a Heavenly Father who not only loves us, but He hears us. He listens to us. So, I've been excited to share some things that I've been studying. I didn't get to the second half of them. But, um, again, read First John. It's awesome to see and be reminded of how just totally infinite God's love and sovereignty is. And He wants us, God wants us to live life being sure of our faith in Him. But when we, when we don't keep our sin confessed, when we're not keeping sin in the light, when we're not remembering what He's done in our life, what He's doing in the life of others, when we're not meditating on these things, when we're not in fellowship with one another, we're not going to be rejoicing. We're going to be more focused on the lack of happiness that we have. Because remember, that joy comes from the Holy Spirit inside of us. It's not something we can muster up and earn and work for and get to the joy part of our day, right? It all comes from Him.
And so, it all wraps back into those two points from this past Sunday. Yielding to the Holy Spirit and putting ourselves under the authority of Scripture. God's given us all that we need, right? He's all we need, right? Didn't we just sing that a few minutes ago? He's given us all we need. This book and the Holy Spirit. An overcomer. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.